Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Illuminate Student Ministries. Listen as Pastor Paul speaks on the garden during the last week of Glorious Purpose. All right, so Glorious Purpose. Oh, golly, you're right, son. I can't see a dang thing out of this. All right. Um... All right, let's grab a seat. We got a lot to get through in 20 minutes to do it. All right, so look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor. Buckle up, buttercup. All right, now take your gear shift. Throw it in the drive. Now take your other hand and close your mouth. All right. All right, so guess where we're going tonight. We're going back to the beginning. All right, so we're going to go to Genesis. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would create, not that you would create, but that we would create an atmosphere for you to speak, that we would create an atmosphere um, where we are intent on hearing what you have to say. We honor you. We love you. Let everything that you want us to hear get soaked in and everything you don't want us to hear be blocked out. Eat the meat and sit out the Amen. Alright, let's go to Genesis 2, 4 through 5. Alright. This is the account of the heavens. Okay, hold on. <laughs> A little back for you. This is, this is right after God had worked for six days and taken a Sabbath, okay? This is where we find ourselves, okay? So, that's where we're at. So, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Now, no shrub of the field was yet on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. Say, no man to cultivate the ground. Alright, hold on to that. We're going to skip a verse, and we're going to go to Genesis 2, 6 through 9. Okay? But a mist used to rise from the earth. Basically, it's saying uh, in verse 5, it's saying that there had been no rains. Because, yeah. Did you not know? Never mind. We'll, we'll talk about it later. You know? <laughs> okay. Uh, but a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living person. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east. Say, planted a garden. Amen. Toward the east in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God caused every tree to grow that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life is also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, how many of you guys have heard this story before, right? God creating Adam, God creating to the heavens and the earth, and then we hear the whole story of all that other stuff. All right, so we're going to get into it. Um, here's something you guys may not have heard of. Maybe you have. How many of you guys have ever heard of hermeneutics? I hope that you've, had, you've heard of hermeneutics. Uh, you've heard of hermeneutics. All right, so how many of you guys haven't heard of hermeneutics? Okay, so hermeneutics is basically a, a method of looking at a specific text. 
So in this case, hermeneutics is a way to interpret scripture. That's all hermeneutics means. Okay. So, but inside hermeneutics, there are specific laws or, um, yeah, I mean they're just called the laws of this and laws of this. It's basically just like protocols, just uh, a way for us to easily, more easily break down um, scripture. Okay. So one of the laws in there is called the law of first mention. Have you guys ever heard the law of first mention? Yeah. Yeah. Like you Okay, you may want to write this down. Okay, well, I just wanted to know if you are going to talk more because I didn't want to say that. And then oh, no, I'm going to talk about the law of first mention right now. All right, so the law of first mention um, says that to understand a particular word or doctrine, we must find the first place in Scripture that the word or doctrine is revealed and study that passage. The reasoning is that the Bible's first mention of a concept is the simplest and clearest presentation. Doctrines are then more fully developed on that foundation. So to fully understand an important and complex theological concept, Bible students are advised to start with its first mention. So here's an example. Um, the first time blood is mentioned in the Bible, it's Genesis 4.10, when God asks the murderer Cain, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So based on this first mention of blood, this we can conclude that blood equates human life. Okay, does that make sense? So, uh, super important that you get to the first mention of whatever uh, an item, a concept, or a doctrine is introduced and kind of create a theology from that. Now, there are some like, oh, maybe we shouldn't do this. For instance, uh, snakes. Okay, so the first time a snake is mentioned in the Bible, what is it? Okay, so it would be easy to assume that anytime we see a serpent, that it would equate to satanic things or devils or all this stuff, but it doesn't, because also in the Torah, they put a serpent on a stick as a type and shadow of Jesus, which brings healing to the people of Israel, right? So you can't just take that whole law and be like, this is it. It's set in stone. Nothing can deviate from it. But it is a great thing to have in your toolkit um, in order to just study Scripture. Okay? You with me so far? Yeah. Cool. So, the law of first mention. So, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the first time man is mentioned in the Bible. Man. Okay? So, with the first time we see man, it is for the purpose of cultivating the ground for vegetation to grow. Right? So, we see that in, in Genesis 2, 4 5. It said that no shrub of the field had yet uh, was yet on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. Okay, so it's easy to assume that when we see mankind mentioned at any point in time, now because of the law of first mention, that it's the purpose of man is to cultivate the ground or to do work. Okay, so it would be easy to assume that. But here's the kicker. It says that you don't just look at the passage, the verse itself. You have to look at the passage, and you have to look at context, right? So this is where I think we get the heart of God on us. You ready? I see you. You're like on the edge of your seat uh, in here. Not really, but it's all right. Um, all right, so if you look a couple verses down, we see that God creates what else? Right after man, what does he create? There's something in between man and woman. 
He creates a garden. God creates a garden. So listen to this. Look, let's go back. So then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living person. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. So God didn't create this garden, but when he formed the earth, or when he made the beasts of the air, or the beasts of the sea, he didn't, he didn't create the garden when he was creating the earth. He created man, and then he created the garden. Okay, so here's, here's why that's important. So, he created a place for Adam. He didn't create Adam for a place. You see what I'm saying? You with me so far? Okay, so the purpose of the garden wasn't for Adam to cultivate it. He created Adam to cultivate everything else, and he said, you know what? I'm going to create a garden for him to reside in. So the garden came after Adam, and that's important, okay? So he created a place for Adam, not Adam for a duty. So let's talk about this. So out of the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to sight and good for food, right? So that's what it says in Genesis 2, 6 through 9, okay? So what is the garden? So it's easy. How many of you guys thought, like, when, when I was reading this today, I was like, he's going to go to the garden. I thought of Nebula in Endgame. Like, he's going to go to the garden. That's cute. Down the south of retirement plan. I also hate Brody. Okay. He's just kind of obnoxious. Anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, Nebula is a good uh, Everyone hated Nebula. Huh? Anyways, all right. So God, God created the garden. All right, you with me? Sorry, that was a total sidetrack. So, what is the garden? The garden isn't just a place that has fruits and veggies and beasts and trees. The garden is the epitome of communion with God. It's the manifestation of communion with God. It's the perfect picture that we have of being one with the Father, walking with Him in the cool of the day, of no outside sources, no, nothing else. It's just us and Him. Nothing separates us between the face of God in the garden. You know what I'm saying? Okay, love it. So only after Adam's fall does God say to Adam that his hands will work the ground. Right? Okay, I'm going to take this out so I can hold it. I guess I can hold it like this. No, it's just not. Just hold on. Get this out. Huh. Oh, no, my apple pen. Cool, here we go. All right, so. The epitome of communion with God. That's what the garden is. Only after, after Adam's fall does God say to Adam that his hands will work the ground and Adam was never supposed to work for, for nourishment. So Adam was designed not just to work the garden. I know I feel like I'm harping on this and I'm hitting him on this, but I think this is really important. God never intended Adam just to work the garden. What God created Adam for, he was designed to just be with the Father in communion. In the garden. He was designed to be with God. That was Adam's purpose, right? That was Adam's oh, glorious purpose. Yes, that was Adam's glorious purpose. Oh, can we also give it up for Rosie Renamia for the first time in like seven years? So Adam was designed to just be with the Father in communion. So that's our glorious purpose. Our glorious purpose. 
our glorious purpose, to be in communion with the Father. And as a result, as a result of being in communion with the Father, this is what we've got to get, that we accomplish things for the kingdom. We don't accomplish things in the kingdom so that we can have communion with the Father. Okay? So it's out of the place of communion. It's out of the place of, hey, I've created this garden for you. Now let's do some work. It's not, hey, I need something to be done, so I've created a garden for you to just do some work and hang out in. He said, hey, I'm going to create you for communion, and then... And while you're in the garden, we can cultivate it. We can move some stuff around, okay? So here's the cool thing. Um, oh, if you want to write this down, write this down. You ready? No. Let me record it because I'm writing something else. It's, it's not very long. It doesn't matter. I'm in the middle of like a very long talk. All right, here we go. We live from acceptance and approval, not for it. Oh, that's basically what I'm writing in a little bit. Yeah, amen. All right, so. God said to Adam, you can eat from anything in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? So the serpent deceived Eve into eating the fruit. And Eve convinced Adam to eat the fruit so that they can be like God. Let me just kind of put um, the nail in this coffin really quick. I think there has been a huge, drastic disservice to the women in the church because of this scripture where um, where people say the serpent went after Eve because she was the weaker vessel. How many of you guys have ever heard that? Utter, utter bullcrap. I mean, I'm just calling bullcrap on that. And what's funny to me, whatever, what's funny to me is the people that say this are like 40-year-old men. Hey, who went after the weaker vessel? Like, where were you, Adam? Like, like, wasn't it your job to be with your wife and instead you just kind of threw up? So listen, it's not because Eve was a weaker vessel that the enemy went after. And so people will use this scripture to say, and even in, like, when Paul is talking about marriage, of like, why well, submit to your husband? And they make it this, this picture of, like, the husband is here and the wife is here, and so you better submit. But I think we always forget that verse where it says, uh, hey, husbands, why don't you lay down your life for your wife like Christ laid his life down for the church? So die to yourself, and how about you guys just be equal? So let's just take that lunacy of like, oh, Eve was the weaker vessel. That's why the enemy went after her. It's bullcrap. You know why the enemy went after Eve? Because God never told Eve, don't eat this fruit. God only told Adam, hey, don't eat this. So the enemy went after someone that never heard the voice of God tell her what she could and could not do. And she only had the voice of Adam saying, hey, this is just what I've been told. Let's do this. So the enemy is cunning. So what he did is he, he came after the woman who had the voice of man talk to her and not the voice of God. This is why it's so important that you live your life foundationally from what the Father says to you and says about you. Because for so many years, I was running off like the high of what all these all these other people were saying about me, what my identity was, what I could and couldn't do. But then when I came like face to face with adversity, I just crumbled because I never heard the Father say this to me. I only heard men and women say this to me. You know what I'm saying? So you need to hear the Father for yourself. It's not enough that you're hearing it here. It's not enough that your parents are even 
leading you in righteous order. That's not good enough. And I'm not saying you have to work harder. I'm saying there's an invitation for communion to hear the Father for yourself. But so many times we're just running off the word of this other person of what this other person said because that sounds good to me. But as soon as you come face to face with any adversity, you just crumble like a weed. How many guys have ever experienced that? Yeah, it's the worst. You need to have something solid to stand on. So after they ate the fruit, well, I'll wrap up here. So after they ate the fruit, they realized they were naked and sewed fig leaves in order to cover themselves from their shame. I'm kind of paraphrasing like a bunch of chapters, but so just it's in there, okay? Genesis 2. You can read all of it, okay? You guys good? Do we want to have a question time? Do we do are we are we no, good? Are we tracking? No, it's not okay, cool. All right, so after they ate the fruit and knowledge of good and evil, they realized they were naked and sowed fig leaves in order to cover themselves from their shame. What's the first thing that God did when this happened? Yeah? There we go. There we go. So he comes down to the garden and he says, Adam, where are you? He says, Adam, where are you? So this is what I, I, I love about the nature of God. Is This is God, by the way, if you don't know. Um, omniscient, omnipresent, knows everything from the beginning to the end. The, I mean, his gaze literally like hills melt like wax in his presence. Like, this this is the God we're talking about. And he's coming down to the garden that he created, and these people are trying to hide behind chlorophyll-filled pieces of grass. And God is saying, hey, where are you? God knows exactly where they're at. But he's giving them an opportunity to come out. So it's not just saying, Adam, I can't find you. You're covered in shame. I can't see you. I can't look upon shame and sin. Where are you? Come out and help. He's like, hey, where are you at? Why don't you come out into the light? Why don't you come out of hiding? Why don't you come hang out in my presence? So he's saying, Adam, where are you? He wasn't afraid of their sin, nor was he pushed back because of it. So let's fast forward a little bit. Let's go to Luke 19. You guys all know the song? Like he is close, so we will know, and we will then was he. And find up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Tree to see him. 
since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, 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 here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said, And today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. All right. Here's what I love about this. God is very familiar and used to looking for people in fig trees trying to hide. He sees Adam and Eve covered them covered their shame and covered themselves with fig leaves. And then you see Zacchaeus hiding behind a sycamore fig tree, which I think is so cool. So I'm, I always write it like a sycamore tree, but it's a sycamore fig tree. So I think it's just crazy. So he's very consistent with looking people through fig leaves. Um, what I love about the, the ending of this, so for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Other translations say to seek and to save that which was lost. Okay, here's why I think that's important. So he... Uh, I think this, this scripture can be interpreted two ways. Okay? Here's the first way. You ready? Say one. 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 To seek and save the lost. Okay? So this could be you and I. We've lost our way and he's coming to save us. Right? Okay? Number two, which I think is um, even, not even more, but as good as an interpretation as the first, that he's coming to save that which was lost. He's coming to seek and say the thing that was lost. The thing that was lost was communion. The thing that was lost was the garden. Okay, so um, that's what I think is so cool. It's like, what do you do if something is lost? You look for it. And so you see this thing, Adam, where are you? We've lost communion. Adam, where are you? Zacchaeus, where are you? I love Zacchaeus didn't make a peep, but I can just see Jesus just walking by, and he's just like, I feel like his like radar is just beep, beep. there's fig leaves and there's someone behind him, and he just like points up at him. And so I'll do that later. Oh. Well a little bit. something is lost. You look for it, and you ask for it. Adam, where are you? You're asking Adam, where are you? So, here's what I think is cool. I think God has been asking the same question since the beginning. You know what I think is really cool? Is that's the first question God ever asked. God, God, where are you? Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? So, if we take that idea of the law first mentioned in the practice, and you say, hey, the first time God ever asked a question, he's coming back for communion. So, I, I want to 
I want to propose this idea to you that God is not. Um, I wouldn't even say God is influenced by your shame. God isn't even influenced or moved by your sin. I don't think God blinks an eye at your shame or even your disobedience or your sin. And I don't think he blinks an eye. And so what we do, you know how we talked a couple weeks ago about like the merit system? Yeah. Okay. Um, what we do in a merit system is when people ask a question um, such as like, Adam, where are you? Or Maddox, where are you? Matt, where are you? Like, when they ask questions like that, when the father asks questions like that, we think that he's coming to deal out, like, judgment. And, like, oh, I've really done it now. Like, when your parents come and bring, like, a, a punishment or a consequence, and they use, like, your middle name. Sometimes we can, we can kind of keep God into that ideal when he asks his questions. And so, what happens... When we perceive God, when he says, hey, blank, where are you? If we don't have a redeemed vision of who he is, it can cause us to retreat back and to try and hide ourselves again. Because, oh, he's coming to, like, shake his finger at me. He's coming because he's ticked off. He's, he's storming through this garden because he's irrevocably ticked off at me. But when we see him as a redeemed father, we say, hey, Adam, where are you? I'm just trying to get the fig leaves off you. I, I don't want you to leave the garden. But it's because of Adam's hiding that he said, okay, you're going to work the ground. You're going to have pain in childbirth. But I put the trace for that. And then, so here's the thing. I'm going to get down here so I can see this. Oh, this is so much better. All right. God's not angry about your sin. He's not angry about your shame. And he's not coming after you like a vigilante. What he's angry about is the distance that your shame has created. And so when you see the father, you hear the father almost being um, like really intense. Like I, I don't think he came as like, oh, Adam, where are you? He was like, Adam, where are you? You guys ever lost something super important to you? Yeah. There was a couple. Uh, there was a couple months ago where Ezra had um, basically hid himself in the house, but no one, no one knew where he was. And so, what happened was I got a call from Jahan, and she said, "Hey." I need you to look for Ezra. Like, I need you to figure out where he is. Like, he's not at home, and we can't find him. So I'm running around. I'm not just, like, looking over here. and looking. I'm not like, hey, Ezra, where are you? Where are you? I'm, Ezra, where are you? I'm running down the road. Ezra, where are you? someone's stomach or mouth. If it's not, you don't have to comment. But, but we have this intense look. Like this intense searching. Alright, okay, Sean, we can, we can keep it under wraps now. 
But here's the thing, is is he weren't I mean I'm sure his parents were a little ticked off at the end when they found out he was under the bed just playing hide and seek. But he's playing with the drum. Come on. He was playing he was playing with the drum and he was afraid he was gonna get in trouble, so he hid. And so what happens is we go and we're looking for him. Not because we're ticked off at him, but because he used to be right here. But now he's all the way over there, or so we think. So we're running around frantic trying to find him. We're trying to close the distance. We're trying to close the gap. And you have to see the Father in this life. That he's not running around so that he can find you and beat you over the head with your mistakes. He's looking around frantically trying to find you for you to come out of hiding, for you to get rid of your fig leaves so that you can come back into communion with him. That's the intention of the Father. That's the the intenseness of the Father. That's why he's so adamant about you getting rid of your fig leaves. That's why he, he doesn't give a crap about your sin. He doesn't give a crap about your shame because the shame is creating distance between the two of you. And that's not what he paid for. So, I think the Father has been asking the same question since day one. Adam, where are you? But I think in this case, I think he's asking to come out of hiding and to come back into communion. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Illuminate Student Ministries. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Illuminate Knox.